In order to understand a foreign language, you need to practice and study a lot. And if you want to hear God's voice more clearly in your life, then put in that same kind of study time to increase your faith. Hey everyone, it's Karen G from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly podcast, where we hope listening in helps you continue on your own faith journey. This week, we're in part four of our sermon series called Your Next Move. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. We've been talking over the last few weeks about how do you find out what your next step is in your relationship with God? How do you know what God wants you to do, what he wants for you in this season, in this moment of your life? And so we've been going through this series called Your Next Move and really to help you figure that out. How do I hear God's voice and respond accordingly? Which really is, in so many ways, Christianity 101, Discipleship 101 is how do I hear God's voice and how do I respond? How do I live my faith in my everyday life, not just think about my faith in everyday life? And so we've used this word sanctification, right, or spiritual formation. Sanctification is the process of being made holy or being made more like Jesus that there's our salvation that happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We confess that he is Lord and Savior. And then there's the rest of our lives, which is the process of sanctification, that you and I, as we do life in the way of Jesus, we should be getting better at it over time. We should be mastering it. Uh, I, I love the fact that, you know, there's that saying, it takes 10,000 hours to master something, which kind of works out to about three years which is exactly the length of Jesus' ministry. He was teaching his disciples to master something, master life in the way of the teacher, in the way of Jesus. And you and I are called to that same master class. So we've been talking a lot about how do you do it. And really, at its core, you have to believe one thing. And I've said this for a couple of weeks, but it's so important, is that I have to believe in my heart of hearts that God's version of me, like the clay at the hand of the potter, God's version of me is better than my version of me. It's better than anything I figure I can do with my life. I trust that God knows me better than I even know myself. He knows what I need even before I need it. And I have to trust that. I have to trust that process. Otherwise, I just simply won't move forward. So we're asking this question, what does God want for me right now? And we said, well, It's a series of steps. Just like any journey in your life, it's a series of steps. And we talked first about the step to follow. You got to follow Jesus and what that means. And it's not just believing, but doing. And then choosing community that we follow Jesus in. It's a team sport. It's not just an individual effort. That community is essential to who we are and who we're called to be. And then last week we talked about joining the mission. We are all, we've all been put on a mission from God, and being part of his community is part of joining with him in his work of the kingdom, reconciling all things back to himself. We said this uh, last week. We said God didn't create a mission for the church. He created the church for his mission. So, I, I feel like we need a drum roll here for the last one. What's the last step that we're going to be talking about? Step four is give generously. 
And I know some of you are just like, I knew it. I knew it. We thought we loved this church, and here it is. The other shoe has dropped. Now we're talking about how they want our money. And I know, I know a lot of people have that reaction, and I totally get it. I mean, how can you not have that reaction according to experiences you've had with churches or pastors that you've seen on TV? Like this very popular pastor whose last name happens to be Dollar. I don't know if it's a real name. I, I don't know. But he asked his congregation for a $65, $65 million private jet to do his ministry. Now, I don't know if he needs, he must need a private jet to do his ministry, but uh, $65 million, a G650, Gulfstream G650. And when asked, his organization, when asked, you know, why they're going to make this purchase, this was their response. We plan to acquire a Gulfstream G650 because it is the best, and it is a reflection of the level of excellence at which this organization chooses to operate. I'd love to see how that one goes over in most any other church. I mean, no wonder you start thinking, you know, the one thing, and some of you are like this, some of you came to Tower Hill because you had such a negative experience of a church asking for money, you just thought, you know, well, the church just cares about my money. They don't really care about me. I'm just a number. I am just adding to their bottom line. I'm buying G650s for the pastor or whatever it is, right? You feel like, it's, it's about money, and every time we talk about it, I know that that thought is there. But it doesn't stop it from being true that God cares about your resources. He cares about your attachment to money, and he cares about the relationship between money and your faith. I always thought it was so disingenuous for churches to give off this message, that money is evil, so you'd better give it to us. <laughs> Better get out of your hands and we'll care for it. You know, we'll prayerfully use it for you. I, was, I just thought that was kind of weird. It was a message that I never really loved. Because I don't believe that money is inherently good or evil, but we do have this attachment with money that does have something to do with our faith. So what is it? What is the relationship between my faith and my money, what does it have to do with my next move? I always find it amazing that Jesus, he taught about money more than any other subject. That might be a little surprising. Even more than he talked about love? Yeah, he talked about money more than anything else. Why do you think that is? Why would Jesus, who had his ministry here for about three years, why would he spend his teaching time talking in a high percentage about money. Well, I think he knows what it can do to our hearts, the pull it has on our lives. It's, it's hard, whether you have a lot of money or a little bit of money, it's hard to not think about money or to not care about money. Money is something that we need as part of our everyday survival. It's like breathing air. You need it to have the resources you need to have a good life, right? To eat food, to have shelter, and all these other things. So money is a necessity in our global economies, and so it's going to be right in front of our face all the time. And we're always going to feel like we don't have enough, <laughs> or we're always going to be too worried about protecting it so that we have more than enough than we might possibly need. Money is a tricky thing. 
I don't think money's evil. I've seen money do some incredibly great things. I mean, just take this church, for example. The money that we give away to missions, the money that we use on ministries, the money that, that we are using to leverage ministry has transformed lives. I mean, you can't say that money is inherently evil when it can do that. But there is a danger, as you and I know. I don't need to tell you this. You know there's a danger to money. You know that it can send you into directions that get you far away from God fast. So here's one of those times that Jesus is teaching about money, and it just so happens in a circumstance where somebody brings a money problem to Jesus. This is from Luke chapter 12. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What a great request, right? Can you imagine? <laughs> teacher, you're speaking for God. Maybe my brother will listen to you <laughs> to split the inheritance with me. And Jesus, like reading in between the lines there, he knows what's going on. And I wish I could tell you that greed wasn't at, as it's, at its highest point in inheritance battles, but it is. And Jesus sees what's happening in this moment. And Jesus replied, I love this reply, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Like, what do you think I'm doing here? <laughs> I'm not going to. I didn't get involved in this fight between you and your brother. And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, we've all heard this before. You can't take it with you. He who dies with the most toys still dies. You've heard that money is in everything. And I feel like, you know, we get a lot of sort of fortune cookie wisdom on this, but I think we need to drill down a little bit more. What, why? Why is this the case? I think money isn't inherently good or evil, but it will bring out the good or evil in you. It will. I, money has this power to magnify what's going on on the inside. It's one of those things that, that comes out of us, our relationship with money, says a lot about our relationship with God. Why? Because the temptation is to look to money as the answer to our life's problems instead of God. How many of you caught yourselves thinking, if I just won the Powerball, everything would be better. <laughs> you know, if I just came into some money, better than the Powerball, because Powerball, you know, then it's like public and people know that I won, but even better, I secretly come into some money and kind of fix everything. I have some kind of angel that delivers this money to me, then all my problems that I'm dealing with now, all these stressors that cause my spouse and I to fight, that cause all this external pressure on us, will be relieved. And I always find it fascinating that people who have a lot of money, and I've actually heard this recently, they said, I wish I can tell people who don't have all this money that it's not the answer. And in some ways, getting at the answer is harder because you feel like you could spend your way out of your problems. It's tricky. I think this is why Jesus talked about it so much. Then, uh, after that situation, he goes right into a parable about money, which is fascinating, right? He had it ready to go. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Bet you didn't know that was scripture, right? When I, you know more scripture than you thought you did today. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, when I first heard this parable, I actually thought to myself, well, what's so wrong about this guy's thinking? He had a good crop. He had an abundance. So he decided, I don't want it to go to waste. I want to keep it all. Let's tear down the, the barns. Let's build bigger ones. Let's kick back and relax. Man, we really got blessed by that abundance. What was so wrong about that? But when you go back into it and start looking at the parable, you see what's wrong very quickly. My surplus, my barns, me, me, me. It's all about me. There's no acknowledgement that God blessed him in any way. It's I did it. It's mine to consume. And I just got to figure out how to do that so I can relax, so that I'm all set. He didn't think once about people who were hungry around him, people who were in need. He didn't once think about how this can relate to what God wants for his life. That never even crossed his mind. It's all about what I got coming. There's a great definition of greed that Andy Stanley uses that I love. And it says, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. And this guy, he didn't think twice. It was all about him, all what he could consume. And of course, what greed does is it steers us away from the heart of God. Our God is not a greedy God. Our God is an abundant God. He wants to give us life. He wants us to have his shalom, his peace. And that's not something that greed does. Of course, greed leads to consuming or hoarding, not trusting in God until there's trouble. And then we come running back to God. God, we're, our, cons, our consumption and our hoarding has gotten us into trouble and now help. You know, what's interesting about money is it's so seductive. I know many of you, you've sacrificed a lot in your life in order to make more of it. And I think about time. I think about time with my kids. I think about time with the people that I love the most. If I'm working my way through their childhood and I never see them, I have to imagine they're not going to love that, that they're going to wish that they had more of me and less luxuries in their life. I know it's tough, but I know that money can send us in directions that, that wear us out, that cause us to lose faith, that put us in bad situations, that put us in questionable situations. Again, money is not evil. Money does a lot of good. I don't think it's wrong to have money. I don't think it's wrong to spend money as long as it's not taking the place of God in your life. And that's a very, very thin line. Here's how Jesus continues. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or, what you're, or about your body, what you will wear. 
For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And you may want to just screenshot that. Because that's something to put up on your walls, to put in a nice frame, to put in your car, to put on your phone. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? That is about as wise of words that have ever been said. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's really the bottom line. This is what it all comes down to. If you treasure God more than anything else, that's where your heart's going to be. And you're going to be able to deal with the treasures you have in your life or the lack of treasures in your life in a God-honoring way. It's about the kingdom. You notice what he said there? Seek first the kingdom. And then these other things will be added to you as well. It's not like he's going to deprive you of everything necessarily, but he wants you to think kingdom first in what you've been blessed with. God's version of me trusts his provision over everything else. His provision over my own. His provision over chasing money. And that's a lot easier said than done, I know. If you look at the parable of the rich fool through the lens of this message series, think about all the ways in which he couldn't figure out his next move because he wasn't able to take any of the steps that we've been talking about. Here's what I mean. So the rich fool didn't follow. He had an identity crisis and couldn't identify what to do. Remember we said following is about knowing who Jesus is so that you know who you really are and you could follow accordingly. He didn't seem to have that. He wasn't following the ways of God. And therefore, it made it hard for him to figure out what the right thing to do was. Maybe that's why it never even crossed his mind. And the second, choose community. He has no regard for any kind of community that he's a part of, right? That, again, that never enters his mind. He only thought of his own needs over everyone else. He never thought, wow, could this help feed people this year who are starving? It just... Community wasn't on his radar. He didn't choose community, and so it never even occurred to him just how greedy he was being in that moment. And then join the mission. Well, he missed that. His abundance was designed to be given for God's kingdom use, and, and he missed it. It just, again, it wasn't on his radar. Had he been able to follow those steps, he would have known better what to do what his next move would be. He had no idea that his life was going to be demanded of him. Again, this is a fictional story, but it's meant to teach us a very important lesson. We don't know what life's going to bring tomorrow. 
So how do we figure out our next move today? What does faithfulness look like today? It looks like honoring God, yes, even with your money. And that doesn't necessarily mean give it all to the church. Really, the reason why we talk about giving in the life of the church is because we're a nonprofit, right? We depend on everybody's gifts in order to pay staff and do ministry and all of that. But we hope that you'll want to. You'll want to fund the ministry so we can exponentially reach people. Not to buy, you know, private jets (laughs) or even cars for that matter. It's about how do we sink this money into the ministry of God? But there are a lot of other things that you could do with your money that are going to help move the kingdom forward. There are a lot of worthy charities and organizations that you can support. There are a lot of things you could do with the things that you have. Listen, bottom line, God's version of me gives generously. We should be a generous people. Generous with one another, generous with forgiving each other, generous with helping each other out when we're down. We need to loosen our grip on our possessions, otherwise they end up possessing us. And that's what God doesn't want. We want to fasten our grip firmly to God. So how do you do that? How do you cultivate generosity? The first is with your time. You know, we need so many volunteers to run this ministry. And we have a lot of big plans that we're hoping for as we come back out of this summer into the fall. But it's only going to work if we have volunteers to do it. It's going to take you. Can you be generous with your time? Or maybe generous with your time with your family. Or generous with your time with what God set you to do in your daily life. Time is a way that you could be generous Or how about your skills or gifts? We talk about this in the church all the time. I mean, listen, many of the people who've joined us on staff are people that had skills from our own church who were able to serve right in the time of need or or volunteers or even outside the church in other ways. How can you use your gifts or skills? Can, Can your gifts or skills help a nonprofit take a step forward in helping people? I bet. That's another way to cultivate generosity. Or resources, right? Your finances, your possessions. Hey, the youth ministry needs a van to take a trip. I got a van. I'll let them use it. You may want to up the insurance on that van, but I got a van, right? What are the resources that you've been blessed with that you could help use for the work of the Lord? Not just for your own enjoyment, but for the work of God's kingdom. This is what we're talking about. And I think if we can cultivate generosity, we won't be rich fools, right? If we can cultivate generosity, we can connect with the heart of God, not just the heart of greed. And when we do, we're able to follow. We're able to choose community. We're able to join the mission. We're able to figure out our next move. Amen. Amen.